Thank you for joining IEB There. And now your host, Brad Barons. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. I'm Brad Behrens, Editor-in-Chief here at the IAB. Welcome to IAB There, our daily live stream uh, where we try to connect the interactive marketing community. And that's that kind of connection, I think, is particularly important this week. It's Friday, June 5th, and we've had a hard week as a nation, as, as a planet, as a species, and as an industry. Um, we're here for you, and uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, today's topic uh, is quite coincidentally very appropriate. Uh, Shiv Singh, who will join us shortly, please let's not bring him on quite yet, um, uh, is uh, the author of Savvy, How to Navigate, uh, excuse me, Savvy, Navigating Fake Companies, Fake Leaders, and Fake News in the Post-Trust Era. In addition to being a co-author of, of this book, which he uh, wrote with uh, Rohini Luthra, his wife uh, and partner, he is also a marketer who's had quite a stellar and scintillating career. I first met Shiv when he was working at Razorfish, where he was a pioneer in social media marketing. In fact, such a pioneer that he wrote the first book on the subject, his earlier book, Social Media Marketing for Dummies. Uh, from, um, from Razorfish, he went to Pepsi, where he led digital there, then to Visa. He today is the CMO of Ergo, uh, which is a disruptive companies in the hearing aid space. We're very lucky to have him joining us. Let's bring Shiv Singh onto the stream, please, while we're bringing him on. If you have questions for Shiv, please share them with us on Twitter. Use the hashtag IAB there, all caps, one word. Our producers are following and we will feed those questions into the stream and chat with them. Mr. Singh, thank you so much for joining us on IAB there. Thank you for having me, Brad. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to see you, as always. So let's start with Ergo. Uh, why did you Why did you join this? What is it, and why did you join? So uh, Ergo is a revolutionary hearing loss company. I joined them a year ago as the chief marketing officer, and really the reason why I joined was, you know, I I looked back on on sort of the arc of my career, and I had the good fortune of of being able to do some really interesting and incredible things early in my career from you know, uh, traveling the world, working with global brands on every continent while I raise fish, to getting my hands really dirty at PepsiCo and at Visa, where, you know, during those periods, I, I you know, I was on the cover of Ad, Ad Age, I was in uh, Ad Week's top 50 list twice or thrice. Uh, I was giving talks on behalf of the New York Times. It, you know, it was sort of a wonderful early success for me personally in my career. And as I left Visa, I realized that there's more to do. And at, that, at this stage, there are different things to do. And I joined Ergo because this is a company in an industry serving people who desperately need help. One in six Americans suffer from hearing loss. One in three baby boomers suffer from hearing loss. And most don't do anything about it. Ergo, and I'll, I'll just show you the box to give you a feel of it. It's a revolutionary hearing loss solution. It looks nothing like any other hearing solution out there in the market. It's the first time the kind of thing that you'd actually want to have and use yourself. So people say it's a Warby Parker of the hearing aid and hearing loss industry. Maybe it is, but I just love the fact that I now get to do work that directly helps people every day and practically once a day or twice a day 
I get a customer feedback form uh, from a customer where, where they say, I put the ear goes into my ears and I started crying. So I feel this is a wonderful time to be at Ergo and, and it's the right thing for me to do at this time. And, and I feel lucky and fortunate to be on the team. Now here, just to be, to, to dig in a little bit, this is uh, a company that's attempting to disrupt the hearing aid industry as it is. And in my understanding, it's doing that in two different ways. First is the, the price point is significantly lower than the conventional hearing aids. And secondly, uh, unlike with most people, you don't have to go to a doctor or an audiologist to be fitted. That it's you know it's it's the uh, you know the Amazon home delivery, uh, the, the, it's the prime version of hearing aids. Is that am I missing anything, or is that the sort of those the two disruption points? Yeah, well, that are... uh, no, that that's very true. You know, at two and a half thousand dollars, we are on approximately half than most hearing aids. Uh, and, and we're direct to consumer. Uh, uh, there's one other piece to it, which is we're a telehealth play. We have licensed audiologists uh, on staff uh, who advise and, and consult and support prospects and customers through their entire hearing journey. So it's, it's, it's as much, we're as much a, a, a medical consultative service as we are a piece of hardware. And in the in the green room before we came on, you were saying that you, even though you yourself have uh, have good hearing, that you wear them. So what 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 do you do? What's what what's uh, what's the point of that? Uh, so so it's really interesting. So so the, these ergos, they they I, I think of them as giving me superpowers. When I'm in loud environments, you know, I, I saw you at 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 CES. Uh, uh, I think uh, six months ago. Uh, when I'm in large envi loud environments like that, I put my ear goes in and I can hear better than anyone else around me. I can hear mm. further, it blocks out the noise, it accentuates the, uh, the frequencies at which voices are. It just helps. So even though I don't have hearing loss, it helps me in, in, in situations. That sounds fascinating. Um, let's talk about disruption and about your career. I think you've been extraordinarily uh, on the cutting edge of, you know, again, the biggest biggest earlier disruption in your career is social media. But let's talk about like what lessons around how social media was disrupting communications, disrupting, you know, web 2.0, disrupting web 1.0. What lessons from those earlier experiences with disruption have kind of accelerated and informed your work at Ergo? Well, I would say the the, the biggest disruption or the biggest change um, has been, I would say I spent a decade being a massive advocate of technology, whether mm -hmm. that was through the lens of social media and how it connected people to, to, together and, and allowed for movements uh, around the world and democracy to extend itself uh, and brands to connect with people, friends and families to connect with one another around the world and in countries and cities. I was a huge fan of all of that and a massive advocate. I mean, I, I traveled to probably 50 countries talking about it both at Racefish and then through my work at Pepsi and, and even Visa. But my biggest learning, and, and it's been a very humbling experience for me in the last few years, is uh, technology can also be evil. It can also be really bad. And, and tragically and sadly, um, we're seeing the dark sides of technology. It can also be a massively 
corruptive influence on democracy. It can be a, a, a massive um, pedestal for misinformation and lies to spread like crazy. It, it can also be, be used in, in bad ways to, to further prejudice and bias, uh, as we see in artificial intelligence. And, and I am embarrassed to say this because throughout that, it, the data can be misused and abused by bad actors. They're all negative sides to it. And I say this with embarrassment because when I was traveling around the world, when I was pushing PepsiCo and Visa to adopt social media and new forms of technology and to market and build relationships in different ways. And even before that, when I was on the agency side, I, I did not talk enough or think enough about the downsides, about mm. the risks and how careful we need to be. And, and I see that as a personal failure. And that's why a year ago, I'm without a doubt, I'm very seriously trying to make sure I don't personally make that mistake again. And I'm trying to do work and work in an industry and with people where we can directly benefit people in, in, in very straightforward, sincere ways. It's sort of my way of giving back in a sense. It's fascinating. You know, I mean, I, I have the conversation, particularly with young parents of young children all the time. And they ask, you know, is this change good or is this change bad? And, and my response is change just is. And there's always going to be good and bad with change. And you can't allow yourself to be so blinded by the bad that you neglect the good and vice versa. Um, but in your, your talk about this, this, this moment of guilt, I think that's a, um, it anticipated me because I was about to get to the book, uh, the book which, uh, which I uh, have enjoyed uh, and learned from. And I wanted to know, sort of like, tell, the, tell, tell our audience, first of all, you co-authored it with uh, Rohini, who is also your wife and who is a psychologist. What's it about? What change do you want Savvy to, to make in the world? Like, what's the dream outcome of having written this book? Yeah, yeah, happy to talk about it. So, uh, uh, you know, what inspired us to write the book was, you know, uh, Rohini and I having uh, a quiet dinner with, with a glass of wine and, and just reflecting on our personal lives and the world around us and realizing that, and just remember, this was a little more than a year ago, uh, but realizing that the world our children was going to, were going to inherit from us ran the risk of being far worse off than the world we had inherited from our parents. And, and that, that was a very sad moment for us. And that's what inspired us to write this book as, as our way, in our own tiny way, to give back and make a difference. Now, the thesis of the book is that there's bad stuff that happens in the world. Whenever there's change, there's good things, good outcomes, and bad outcomes. And, and you know, one can argue, especially in the last two weeks, uh, a lot of negative outcomes uh, uh, or things that need to be changing. The thesis of our book is fundamentally, there will always be bad actors in the world. They will always be weaponized by technology. And tragically, as the technology gets more powerful, the, the opportunity to abuse it will only increase in time. The most fundamental, greatest protection we have is, is not from the government, is, is not from big corporations, is via our own selves. So Savvy is a book about learning new skills, developing new tools and techniques 
to fight the fakeness in the world. It's all about what we as individuals can do. And it emphasizes the fact that at the root of a lot of the fakeness, the bias, the prejudice, the misinformation, the, the, the corrupting of democracy is the fact or, or how businesses go astray in bad directions as Tyrannus did and Uber did for a while is the fact that we in ourselves have a lot of cognitive biases that we do not recognize and don't know how to contain. Uh, so the book is, 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 you could say it's a part self-help business book and part self-help uh, uh, living a better life book to navigate the craziness out there. Uh, it sounds like you're a fan of behavioral economics. You know, Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky, and, and uh, Richard uh, Th uh, Thaler. That, is this a part of what you're talking about? Uh, yes, but this is much more rooted in psychology than behavioral economics. Um, and, and part of it was, as we were writing the book, we kept unpacking and discovering these historic psychology studies that no one knew about that actually explain why we fall prey to misinformation or why we follow leaders like Elizabeth Holmes or Travis at, at Uber. Um, and, and I would humbly suggest, and this is my own politics, why we sometimes fall for and start following leaders like uh, President Trump as well. Uh, so yes, it's all of that, a bit more from a psychology meets business meets uh, current affairs standpoint. And also uh, your co-author is a psychologist, which I think uh, helps with that as well. Um, Absolutely. Let's, so it's extraordinarily timely that we're having this conversation today, even though we booked you uh, before the events of Memorial Day. And I'm specifically talking about the, the death while in police custody of George Floyd on Memorial Day. Um, there's fake news, fake leaders, there's you know outright lies, and then there's also spin and and rational truth telling people can disagree about what's important about a story. What's the line? Like help us to understand where we go from sort of you know the bias of this is what a publication is concerned with to actual sort of there's information overload, there's misinformation, and then there's disinformation, and there are three different things. How would you define fakeness when it comes to the news? Yeah, so, 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 so Brad, firstly, I would say it's horrifically tragic what happened in Minneapolis with, with George Floyd. And, and I hope, I sincerely hope we as, as a country uh, learn an immense amount and, and change an immense amount from it. Um, I'm, in, I'm incredibly excited and inspired by the protests happening. And, and I'm really hopeful that'll lead to a lot of positive change. When it comes to misinformation and fake news and, and the deeper disinformation, there are a few things to consider. First and foremost is our receptivity for misinformation. And, and I wanna jump right to that because in our newsletter, which goes out every week, we just highlighted the fact that Compared to 2016, when we all believed there was a lot of misinformation about the election, and, and we also believed then following that, uh, the technology platforms and, and, and the, 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 the media companies had learned important lessons and had changed and had strengthened. Uh, tragically, compared to that time, 
we have now more misinformation and it is harder than even then for a regular person to tell the difference between fact and fiction, truth versus lies. So that's a, the first thing I want to share. We are in an incredibly more difficult time. The second thing I would say is, uh, you know, information and news has been weaponized. These are the new uh, nuclear weapons of the sage. And, and we saw it uh, uh, in mind-blowing ways uh, with the pandemic alone. Uh, you know, one tiny example is that pandemic video, which got 8 million views and took a week for it to be shut down. And, and it really blurred the lines. And it was, I mean, you know, hats off to the evil genius uh, behind it because it blurred the lines between talking about some credible facts, mixing it, mixing in with it a little bit of misinformation, and then some really Machiavellian disinformation. So you would believe it because of those facts, and then it would sort of pull you down this rabbit hole. And it was very hard to catch. That's why it spread like wildfire. It totally discredited Dr. Andrew Fauci, who's, I think, you know, one of uh, America's uh, unlikely heroes. Mm, uh, he's a great Irish. treasure. Yeah, we're very lucky to have him. Um, but then uh, uh, it took a while to shut it down. When it finally got shut down in the US, guess what happened? It got translated to 13 languages and spread elsewhere around the world. So that's just a tiny example of the misinformation uh, challenges that we're, we're, we're having. The other part to this is, and sadly, this started in 2012, 2013, but what we have seen is the, the continuous corrosion of trust in our public institutions. And, and it started during first during the time of the financial crisis, uh, but then through the lens of the divisive politics coming out of Washington, where uh, political leaders would tear down public institutions to, to get votes and appeal to people's greatest insecurities. And then post-2016, we saw that happen uh, uh, with the president itself. And, and he, you know, he, he took it to a whole new level. The problem with all of this is we don't know who or what to trust anymore. Because for every piece of information, there are five different stories that navigate around it. Um, we saw this actually, and we talked about it in the book and unpacked it, ironically, in the context of the Trayvon Martin tragedy in Florida, if you remember that, uh, very well, uh, uh, you know, a, a couple of years ago. Well, all that we saw then, we see even more now. So, where does this leave us? Because I don't want this to be a completely depressing conversation. Is we have to develop our own skills, our own media literacy skills. We have to know who to look for for the facts. We have to make sure, you know, everyone likes to say, you've got to watch CNN and you've got to watch a bit of Fox News and a bit of MSNBC and then decide what's fact. That's not enough. We need to pay attention to who specifically on these networks are coming in as experts and articulating the facts and have the greatest insights versus those who have agendas or those that don't have the substance necessarily and, and are just spewing whether hate or bigotry or lies or whatever it may be. So just to zoom out, you asked me about misinformation. I'm, I'm, I'm not even entering the disinformation area because 
that would be another conversation and, and it's, it's so problematic in different ways. But from the misinformation side, this has been building for a while. The, the, the challenges that we've had due to the corroding of trust in public institutions has accelerated it. And then finally, we all have to develop new skills to fight uh, what's going on. And part of that is really seeking out experts. It's time we returned to focusing and respecting experts again. And that's why, you know, I go back to Dr. Andrew Fauci. I think about, you know, in, in this time of the pandemic, um, I, I, I think about the Taiwanese vice president. Who'd have, one of the reasons why Taiwan has avoided the coronavirus uh, pandemic uh, in, in such amazing ways is their vice president coincidentally happens to be an epidemiologist himself. So imagine if Andrew Fauci was the VP instead of Mike Pence, how much more powerful that would be in this time. The point is experts matter more than ever. When we now put this in the context of what happened with George Floyd and, and how the different media narratives building, one anchored in the issue of racism and uh, institutional and systemic racism, and the other narrative around uh, looting uh, and, 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 and you know, uh, law and order. It's, it's tragic to see how these different media narratives are competing with one another um, mm. and, and how uh, it's, it's, they're, they're asking people to make a decision. You're either for protesting or you're for uh, law and order, which is such a false choice. And, yeah, and I was deeply depressed by Senator Tim Cotton's uh, op-ed piece in the New York Times because he tried to frame the argument like that. Yeah, no, false binaries, um, uh, they're very seductive because they're very easy. Whereas having, having to hold uncomfortable truths yoked together, uh, which is that, you know, yes, looting is wrong, uh, but if that's the only way that, or if that's the, if that is, if looting is the end result of the only way that the Black Lives Matter movement can get the attention of the rest of us, um, then, uh, then it's understandable. Uh, that doesn't mean it make it right. And I'm sure I've said that badly and that someone will, um, will complain and I apologize ahead of time. Um, um, this is the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Um, and, and so let's try to build a bridge back to your work as a marketer uh, and, 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 and as a thought leader within marketing. Um, what Savvy is talking about is truth and being able to adjudicate claims uh, around that, figuring out what skills you need in order to come to a good sense, okay, this is reliable, this isn't reliable. I think that the most optimistic thing about your book is that it presumes, it gives people the benefit of the doubt that they care about the truth. Um, and, and I hope to God that you're right. Um, marketing, I mean, Seth Godin famously wrote a book in 2004 called All Marketers Are Liars. His point in the book was that they shouldn't be, but marketing is in the business of thinking about the best possible case to make for something. It's in the business of spin. Um, so how do you reconcile the work that you're doing as the co-author of Savvy with the work you're doing trying to build the business of Ergo? Like, like there, there's a potential um, uh, problem there, you know? 
Yeah, so so what's interesting, so so I think that's a great question. And there, there are a few things that I'd, I'd like to uh, share. So, so firstly, when it uh, comes to marketing at, at a very sort of tactical, fundamental, basic level, um, there's nothing wrong in marketing. And marketing isn't necessarily spin. It is telling a story. It is putting the facts out there. It is making a case. It is convincing someone of something similar to how I'm convincing you of my sort of worldview or, or, or personal takes on, on a few different subjects right now. That is all good. And, and, uh, and, and it's valuable and it's important. What matters though, and, and the challenging piece is that as marketers, we have a very important responsibility to the truth. And, and I think you can be immensely truthful and still do great marketing. I don't think they, 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 they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. The challenge and the sad thing is, I don't think as marketers, we think about these moral questions enough. We don't think about what it means to speak the truth, what it means to uh, make sure that the, the work we're putting out there is, is reflective of society. A great case in point is, uh, uh, you know, and, and I'm glad it's coming up again. It had gotten lost in the mix for a while. African-Americans uh, in advertising and how they're portrayed or even in Hollywood. Um, those are deeper questions, which we talk a lot about in the book that are absolutely important to, to every marketer. And, and a friend of mine, um, I forget who it was. It was another CMO, described Savvy as the best non-marketing book that every marketer should read. Because we, we as marketers, we are often the face of most companies we increasingly like to talk about brands with a purpose. And the tragedy though, is that uh, a lot of companies for a long time have, have sort of used purpose as a way to put lipstick on the pig. Hmm. And, and, and I, I actually hate the, the whole brand purpose conversations because it only works when business is doing fine. You know, people talk about it. Oh, it's done in such a contained fashion that there's no substance behind it. Every brand that's been talking about purpose really aggressively should not just be culture jacking this moment around uh, 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 Black Lives Matter. Um, they should have been doing the right things for a long period of time. Um, and, and it's the same with the Me Too movement. These aren't just moments of time that you culture jack and, and take advantage of. So I, all of this is to say that marketing is not just about spin or stories. It is about having a strong moral compass, ideally having a strong influence inside your own organization and beyond as well, because especially if you're a large brand, you do have a big platform. You have billions or millions of uh, dollars uh, at your disposal as, I, as I've had in my career to, to make sure uh, the right kind of communication is happening, the right authentic communication, and it's sincere. And if you can't be sincere, and if you can't do it with substance, and if instead you're just thinking about purpose as, as a nice story for a, for a conference talk or something, then don't do it. It's not helping. And, and it's, it's just bullshit. I mean, don't mind my language. And, but, but that's where marketing matters immensely but we've got to have stronger moral compasses. We've got to focus on the truth and, and, and we've, we've got to be real or we've got to stay in our place because businesses and marketers 
we live in society. We're not separate to society. I, I applaud everything you just said. And in the back of my mind, I just want to share with you that uh, if you can remember who said that Savvy is the best non-marketing book that every marketer should read, um, that's a blurb for the paperback edition, I think, uh, coming up, coming real soon uh, to a bookstore near you. Um, Shiv Singh, I want to, I want to end with uh, a slightly different question. In your introduction and in uh, Rohini's introduction, you, you both come across as very optimistic. Um, this book was written and completed before the pandemic, before the events of the last uh, 10 days or two weeks almost. Are you still an optimist? And, and if so, uh, help us on what, where, do you, where do you drag, from where do you derive your optimism? Uh, that, that, that's a bit of a, uh, that's a tough question. And, and, and then, uh, um, so look, I, I became an American citizen in October. I've been living in America for 25 years, a little bit in Europe in between. My kids are American. Uh, my, my wife, you know, grew up in America. So in theory, as a new immigrant, as a new citizen, well, I'm not a new immigrant, but a new citizen, certainly, I should be the most optimistic. I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I definitely don't agree with, with, with the view of some, I believe it was Neil Ferguson from Harvard and a few others who say that, you know, the 20th century belonged to America and now we're, we're, we're going to, you know, be replaced by China. The next century is not ours. I, I don't buy that. I think there's the optimism, the hope, the, the, the strength of the diversity and, and the, the, the core of America is so, so powerful. But I say cautious because what I, what I worry about is not a single moment in time. I, I think there's immense resilience and strength. We're going to get through the pandemic well. I, I, I think the, uh, the, 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 the protests will happen uh, and we're going to learn from it. But what I really worry about is um, over the longer arc of time, we, we don't hold we don't learn our lessons. And, and I worry about that because whether it's Black Lives Matter or the Me Too movement or the role of misinformation comparing to 2016 misinformation to 2020, we're not learning our lessons and we need to do more. We need to change more aggressively. We need to allow for those tectonic shifts to happen. And, and it's, it takes every one of us, whether you have one follower on Twitter or a million followers, um, and, and so I hope those kinds of changes will happen because that's what's made America progress and special. It looks forward, it changes. So I hope so, but it, it's a worrying time and I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that I was a little nervous. Well, Shiv Singh, it is always a joy to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us here on I Be There and I hope we get to talk again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So. Well, I, uh, I be there. We have an announcement to make, which is next Monday's uh, show is a special expanded edition. It is a one hour I be there streaming edition powered by our friends at Hulu. Our guests will be Mike Bloxham, Senior Vice President of Global Media and Entertainment at Magid, and Asaf Davidov, the Vice President of Ad Sales Research at Hulu. Please tune in and please make extra time because we're going to go for an hour. I Be There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Tofika Mahinadin. I'm Brad Behrens, Editor-in-Chief here at the IAB. Thank you for watching. 
Have a good weekend. Hang in there. Be there for each other. Come back next Monday because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you know it's time to IAB there. Bye-bye, everybody.